You're listening to Marcus Sahaba Online Radio Podcast. I just got 8.32 Central African time and uh, the time of the evening where we uh, join Anwar Qasim on his segment, uh, Driving uh, with Anwar. Anwar, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Great to have you back, Anwar, after many moons. Uh, how are you doing, uh, my beloved brother? Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, brother Shafat, long awaited, you know, many moons has passed us. But alhamdulillah, you know, we're back on air again and... You know, this one month went through so quickly, but Alhamdulillah, all went well. Yeah, and what was your highlight uh, during Ramadan? Hey, really speaking, Brother Shafat, it was a cup of tea every morning that did it for me. Really. Nothing more and nothing less. Every single morning. Alhamdulillah, you know, the time just got even closer, you know, to start. And I don't think anybody really felt it. You know, every year has a year's go by. I think because we're similar more towards the winterish part, and our times are very, very short, you know. So there wasn't, wasn't so much complaints, I hear, you know, from this year. Generally, you know, you have people, especially the elderly, you very seldom hear the kids complain about Ramadan. This year was very, very fantastic, I would say. No, absolutely, Anwar. You know, you're being blessed uh, as a world-class mechanic. And also, uh, when it comes uh, to your, you know, you're an economist, uh, you have your honors and uh, degrees in economy and uh, so forth, and you've been lecturing also. And, uh, you know, it was something that uh, perhaps we should be discussing with you before we're getting our motoring uh, segment is uh, South Africans are getting uh, poorer and poorer. Uh, you know, this is uh, some data that's being shown by uh, some of the groups around. Talk to us about that. Uh, South Africans are getting uh, poorer, or is it uh, more the middle class that's feeling the pinch, uh, Anwar? Hey, most definitely. If you look at the middle class and the low income bracket, you find that obviously we in South Africa is actually getting poorer. When stats was actually done, they found that people, in comparison to last year, they were spending 8% more on food items, and they're actually spending 16% more on fuel. Now, once again, okay, if we had a look at the guys who did the stats, Capitec itself, Capitec Banking, they hold close to one-third the population of South Africa, which is just over 20 million active clients they have on the system. So, obviously, they have a relative good idea as to what the, you know, the, the clients actually spend on certain items, because most of these bankers, obviously, they give up loans and home loans and such, you know. So, they found that, you know, most of the home loans, most of the people's income is, like, 20% is spent on the home loans. Uh, they spend about 15% on the vehicles. And I think on the personal loans, something to 12% when the average uh, stats was done. But obviously, you know, South Africa is deteriorating and more so, once again, we'll blame load shedding. There is no fun at the end of the light here. You know, there is no sight of it. You know, and obviously, every time there's load shedding, obviously, our, our country does get crippled and it's going to remain, it seems, for years to come because there is no solution at hand. You know, putting an extra minister, as our beloved president has actually done, is of actually no benefit. All we know that we are spending a couple million on his wages and it doesn't for South Africa. So the sad part is, yes, we are getting poorer, you know, uh, there's absolutely no uh, consumer in South Africa, and that also will remain, you know, that is for sure. So everything in South Africa at the moment is an all-time low, but also we know inflation is very, very high. It does not allow the person, I mean, every year you find there's a slight increase in people's wage, especially those who's working, and you find 
that it does not uh, allow, does not balance out the inflation of the country itself. So, yes, you know, unfortunately, people are getting themselves in debt and people are living on meager whatever they can get, you know, Belshazzar. So it is sad, obviously. And for a government that we have at present, you know, you should have put things in place, really, you know, to ease out the stress and the burdens of the people, because really speaking, it's the people's or the workers' money that actually, you know, um, run the country. But obviously, I suppose in Parliament, if you're in Parliament, you just go big blazes and big pockets and you fill it. So that's all, you know, I, I think that's necessarily important to those guys in Parliament. No, absolutely, Amir. And then you look at the South African uh, Revenue Services, uh, luxury vehicles, audits, and why you should come clean. Hey, those big cars, even though uh, Tabo Bester went and dumped a uh, Mercedes-Benz there at the border of Zimbabwe. I mean, the sad story indeed. But uh, what's your thoughts on uh, SARS and uh, audits on uh, luxury vehicles, uh, Anwar? You know, really speaking, the, the person is actually running SARS. I really can't get his name but the fact that this actually started off at Tavin Gordon's time, I remember, many years ago when he was head of SARS. And what he used to do, he used to give a percentage to all the students. who They used to take photographs of luxury cars the way the young guys or the, the kids were driving. And they used to audit the parents or every ease on those vehicles. So it is absolutely nothing new when it comes to SARS and the undermining of people. You know, I suppose it's a privilege also and also a certain amount of privacy that goes with it. I mean, we as taxpayers, really speaking, uh, Shafat, I'm not saying rob anybody. All I'm saying is, how is our government utilizing our money, the billions of rand that comes into income tax or the provincial tax, whatever tax it is, you know, you find that it's not utilized appropriately. So it doesn't really benefit us. All they do is find ways to actually, you know, grasp and actually draw blood from stone, as I would say. You know, so really speaking, you know, if you look at the, the car aspect, you're talking about this uh, luxury vehicles. They audited 71 um, vehicle owners, and they actually claimed back, I, I think, something to the tune of 840 million rands. You know, and if you look at last year alone, when they audited uh, 854 people, they gained 5.4 billion from it. So obviously, you know, the taxpayers, you know, the information that is actually revealed to SARS, we know they have the hand in everything. Generally, uh, most of the time, it's the license department. If you find the deeds office, you, you find that, uh, you know, um, the social media, I think that's been a very crucial part in people getting into trouble with SARS at the moment. And even also hidden wealth, we will call, you know, money that's out of the country, money that's hidden in this country, you know. So now they're actually employing all. You know, uh, they find new rules where they're actually seizing people's assets and they're creating interest and penalties. Uh, you know, it uh, incurs once, you know, you find that you're guilty. So there are many ways, uh, you know, SARS is actually finding in the system. You know, but once again, on the other side of the coin, Brother Shafat, if our money was utilized appropriately, I don't think a lot of people will actually avoid paying taxes. We'd have a free-flowing country, and I think it will be a very efficient flow of income to the country because it will benefit the people. And in so doing, I, I suppose it will engage more people in employment. The economy will be richer. The inflation will be down. So it has a lot of advantages. So once again, I would blame the government for not tightening the belt on all the wrongs that they're doing, really speaking. Yeah, no, the head of SARS, I think, is Edward Kisvether. 
he's uh, heading the scars, uh, uh, <laughs> calling them scars, uh, the, the scars now, the scarring everyone. And, you know, the tax base is, I think, is 11 or 13%, and the 13% is paying taxes, and the rest of uh, the people are living on pension in this country. Well, Anwar, moving on, and you can see the cars that you can afford for uh, maybe 5000 a month in South Africa. Give us some of those cars, and uh, some people, uh, I think most people are going for uh, that uh, that type of deal, Anwar. Yeah, most probably. I mean, look at the affordability. Now, the economists in the country, they really keep abreast when it comes to the or expenditure of clients or the consumers in South Africa. And as we mentioned, Capitec, you know, people have that 20% allowance for vehicles. And if the average person earns 25,000 rands, obviously there's about a 5,000 rands, you know, that's kept aside for vehicle finance. Now, if you had to look at vehicle finance, if you look at the hatches or the normal sedans uh, that's out there, the average price of a small to medium car, I would say, averages around 200 to 240,000 rands. And it's from the Expresso, the Suzuki, the, the Quids, uh, the Toyota Aiga, and all those type of cars. Now, if a person has to have only uh, 5,000, average of 5,000 rand a month, you know, if you look at one of those vehicles, you, you, you'll end up paying after 16 months, uh, you know, uh, for that vehicle of uh, close to 5,000 rand. So I, I suppose it benefits people. They they have a vehicle that is uh, economical, that is efficient, you know, and a lot of people are going for smaller vehicles and a lot of hatches and reason being because of the amount of vehicles on the road and because of maneuverability also and also because it's very efficient on fuel. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, that, that small car market, I, I think, is doing relatively uh, very good. Now, you can't really take that comparison and compare it to a Mercedes or a BMW as such, because obviously your premiums is tenfold more. But uh, if you look at what actually keeps the country running, you know, even on the financial side, you know, you find uh, that the, uh, the small to medium uh, businessmen or the, the laymen out there, they actually keep the country flow, uh, floating. So, Alhamdulillah, you know, on that seg- segment, I, I think our country is doing relatively good. You know, I know the story of uh, the petrol price will jump, will go high, will go low, diesel will come low, paraffin will there, and uh, so forth. But, uh, you know, what's the big, uh, I mean, uh, what do you really feel, I mean, in, in May, will it, the price go up, will it come down, you know, because I'm in the, uh, I don't know what's going on. One day I read an article that says, yeah, the price will go up, and then I read an article the next day, or oh, the price of uh, oil is falling and so forth, and the uh, oil price will go, I mean, the petrol price will go down. Where are we standing, Anwar? You know, really speaking, I suppose it's all to do with the supply of oil itself. Knowing that we are buying most of our oil in a refined form, in petroleum and diesel, it's coming into that form in this country. So now we become even more dependent on foreign countries actually to supply. So because there's a drop in supply, I can't understand why we'll blame the Ukraine war. We can blame so many other things. But really speaking, I can't understand why, because we don't have just one oil supply in the world. Right, so at the present moment, if we look at the rand, the rand is sitting at over 18 rands to the dollar. And for you to have a stabilized, uh, you know, economy as such, or, or, or the fuel price to actually drop, you need to have get that rand to be sitting at below 16 rand. Then obviously we won't have a fluctuation of price, and that is very, very unlikely. Now the economists once again, you know, they they, they estimate that in May the fuel price can go anywhere between 74 cents to 80 cents a liter. But diesel will drop from 18 cents to I think 41 cents. They're not really sure. 
So nothing has been confirmed as yet. I, I suppose uh, next month will actually tell us the true story of it. But, you, you know, once again, we find that we use every excuse, you know, to fluctuate the price of fuel. And I think in the previous show, we mentioned the fact that if you look at places like America and quite a few other places, they have a, a petroleum supply of close to, I think, a year to two. We have a supply of three months. So until our government does not buck up and practice uh, belt uh, as such, you find that every three months, that is all the stock that we have in this country. So obviously, every few months, you will find a fluctuation of fuel. So he actually needs to actually have more better reserves, you know, so it will actually counter those days of darkness. You know, so once again, our country is, uh, you know, in the dark ages. They don't actually forecast like most of the other countries, you know, especially when it comes to energy. Energy, fuel energy basically runs the countries. I mean, look at lo- what low cheating is doing to our countries at the present moment. You know, so everyone is utilizing fuel, obviously, to burn those generators and do whatever they have to do. You know, so we have to actually create uh, bigger reserves in order for us to curb the uh, inflation or the rising price of or the cost of fuel. I know earlier on you spoke about uh, hatchbacks, and uh, what are some of the most uh, popular hatchbacks in uh, in South Africa? No, alhamdulillah, you know, when it comes to the polo, once again, Vivo actually holds it. Uh, I think uh, last year alone, they sold over uh, 2,000 uh, of these units. Uh, second in line is Toyota Starlet, I think it's about 1,200. So, and I think Suzuki Swift, and I think on the list there'll be a few Suzukis, there'll be, I mean, most definitely it'll be the Grand i10, the Hyundai, you know, these are all fancy hatches, and what makes it economical and, you know, practical, I suppose, because you'll find there's a lot of women drivers out there, and they feel much more comfortable especially with these hatch cars. And if you look at the youngs and the teens out there, you know, new, the guys who or, or kids who just go newly got their licenses, you find these are very practical to drive a hatch vehicle, unlike a boot vehicle, because reversing becomes a problem, parallel parking becomes a problem. So obviously it is uh, very, very popular amongst the young, amongst the females, and amongst the commuter who actually use it for efficiency, you know, to get himself in tight places and drive through narrow roads. So, obviously, I, I think those are vehicles will stay. That is the reason, you know, we have a lot of production when it comes to hatches. And most of the hatches, they're not badly priced, really speaking. Uh, if you look at the Polar, I think they start off just about 240,000 rands. If you look at uh, the Expresso, it's about 180-some thousand rands. So, the price range is also the 13 when it comes to uh, the consumer market out there. Then uh, you talk about your favorite car, the 500,000th uh, Mercedes-Benz G-Class uh, rolls off the production line. Uh, tell us more, what? You know, the irony is my son sees this vehicle, the G-Class, the new G-Class, obviously, and he tells me, Abba, we need to buy this thing. I said, son, it can't be all that much. How much? He said, oh, the one that you're looking at, Abba, is about uh, close to 5 million rands. I said, what makes it so extraordinary? And the kids of today seems to know much more than we do, Baruch Shabbat. Trust me. He said, no, Sonny, no, but it comes with bulletproof uh, windows, you know. It comes with this, it comes with that, and a carbon fiber, and some big words were said. I said, okay, that's perfectly fine. I said, five million needs to wait for a couple of days, our boy. But anyway, all said and done. (laughs) If we look at the G-Class itself, uh, it first reared itself, I think, in Australia in 1983. So it has a 45-year running. And they rolled out the, uh, I, I think the 500,000, as you mentioned, you know, very beautiful vehicles. I, I remember reading an article some time back when they first introduced, it was introduced with four different engine capacities, starting from 53 kilowatts to 110 kilowatts. 
And uh, I think in 1979, that's where, you know, the change started coming. And people found that SUVs took the market. There was a time where SUVs was uh, more uh, said to be a luxury vehicle or a bolting vehicle, you know. But today you find most of the households are going on SUVs. And I suppose that is why or that is how the market has regained its confidence once again. So Alhamdulillah, you know, once again, you know, you look at the G market, I think it's a brand itself. Mercedes is a brand. So I don't see them really having a downward shift. So they're always introducing new, you know, models as such, and it will keep going on. And then, uh, you know, the very popular car once upon a time. I remember that uh, cricketer Lance uh, Kruzner driving this. The Opel Corsa light returns to Inzanzi. What happened? Did it, uh, was it off the market recently? Why do they say it's making a return to Inzanzi, Anwar? You see, most of the vehicles, uh, you know, when it comes to most of the production of vehicles, you look at VW, you look at Opel, you look at Mercedes, all of them has a lifespan of between four to five years, and the model changes thereafter. Then they introduce a new product into the market. Now, for some reason, you know, the last course of a light itself was actually built in, uh, I think it was in 2007. That was the last, but it was introduced in 1996. It was a very remarkable vehicle. In fact, a lot of my customers still come in with this vehicle in excellent condition. Very hard to break those vehicles, really. And, and they're still swayed, you know, by the fuel economy on it. And it's quite a rigid, beautiful, solid vehicle up to now, considering the age of the vehicle. So Corsa Light, I suppose, is just a name given to it. And if those have to look at the new Corsa Light, it doesn't really resemble much of the old Corsa. So, but I suppose just the brand or the name has been passed over to the new generation of this vehicle and the quality that costs on light. It doesn't really hold much resemblance at all to the old Corsa because this vehicle, if you look at the motor size, I know the old Corsa came with a 1.3, 1.4, and 1.6 liter motor. This has a 1.2 liter turbocharged motor that is 174 kilo, uh, so sorry, 74 kilowatts, right? And but the fuel economy is not as efficient as the others. It takes 7.5 liters to 100 kilometers. So once again, you know, I, I suppose people are paying with badges. If you look at the Suzuki and look at the Toyota, it's just a matter of changing of badges. So I suppose the introduction uh, to this year uh, has a Corsa light will actually bring back a lot of memories to seasoned people because those who own Corsas you know, back in the year will obviously, you know, spare by it. And obviously, you know, it's more of a selling technique, I would say. So I say, I, I suppose to just use the name, you know, just on a sales tactic when it comes to this. Yeah, and well, you know, getting back uh, to the importance of fuel, and it seems uh, like, you know, South Africa's electricity minister the new electricity minister proposed a plan to stave off uh, deeper power cuts by increasing the use of diesel turbines uh, along uh, the, uh, with building with uh, more storage capacity to store the fuel. I mean, uh, we've got so much of coal in this country, uh, you know, that can last us for the next five, uh, I believe, the next uh, 500 years. But yeah, they're still talking about diesel. I mean, uh, surely diesel will cost more, right? You know, the irony of this country, which I don't understand, and I think I'll never understand it in the, in my lifetime at least, is we're trying to introduce electric vehicles, we're trying to go greener, we're trying to eliminate emission, right? And here we still have burning fuel, we have diesel, we have load shedding. Very soon, we'll be one of the major contributors when it comes to the ozone layer, you know, the fall of the ozone layer. You know, at the moment, I think we fall uh, about 7 or 13, and I, I really can't keep up because our country is really doing excellent in that 
you know, the falling of this country in so many different aspects. You know, but building is called whatever it is, it's not going to make much of a difference because if you look at population growth on one side, you know, they do not have the demand for the supply. In the sense, you know, the growth is is exceptionally high and they should have kept the best years ago. They should have forecasted. They should have understood and known that. I mean, now only they are basically tarring roads, you know, and if you go into most of these townships or some of the well-developed places, you find some, most of the roads are not even tarred, which means there's very poor forecasting on the government side. You know, so unfortunately, Bershafat, it makes me mad, but I really don't have, I have absolutely no confidence in what he said. Whatever materializes and I actually see it, you know, so alhamdulillah, I, I think I will believe that. You know, there's a lot of talk. I remember when Mandela was released and he, he insisted I will build one million houses in five years. And five years later came and the, the, he, he turned on and told the guys, I'm, I'm not mad. I mean, to build one million houses in this period of time is too short. So unfortunately, he has that as an example. You know, until it is not seen and not proven, we, we still suffer with load shedding. We still have an economy that's an all-time low. You know, our uh, income earners are, are below the inflation level, you know. So there's a lot to be desired and a lot to be said when it comes to the government. So all I know is they take and they shift people. Earlier on in the conversation, Brother Shafat, I wasn't really sure who was the minister of um, SARS itself because they're taking people from minister of sport and they put him into finance and they're chopping and changing to suit their own cabinet. Not people who has you know, the merit to actually sit in those uh, positions. So I suppose, you know, uh, maybe I'm wrong, I'm not really sure, but Shafat, my views on improving the load chain in this country is very, very far from what I expect it to be. Yeah, we won't forget his name, Edward Kiesvetter. It seems in our parliament that we have, just as you get used to, uh, a person becomes a household name, you find they are caught for corruption or the caught for something, <laughs> you know. So they don't really last in those positions. But I think in that small duration of time, although they have, most of them have, have absolutely no qualification to be holding such vast positions, you know. I think in that short period of time, they, the, the amount of money, they, they retire in that period, you know. They get this golden handshake. I remember not very long ago, somebody was running ESCOM, and they had a 3 million handshake, and then somebody gets a 30 million handshake for the year. What improvement have they done to get these type of handshakes, you know? So our money, as we mentioned, SARS is trying to recoup all this money from innocent taxpayers or, I'll say, you know, business people or income earners in this country that actually keep the country afloat. But instead, where does our money go and what does it benefit or who does it benefit? Just the few elite, I would say. Now, Anwar, I'd like your views on this because according to Dr. Ruloff Bota, who is an economic advisor, and uh, he says, uh, you know, uh, that uh, South Africa uh, should exit uh, BRICS, and he's giving the reasons, you know, Russia is a warmonger and China is uh, another uh, you know, country that's uh, going in deep, uh, uh, capturing other countries and, uh, you know, taking away harbors and uh, airports and so forth. But, uh, yeah, we know for a fact uh, that... Uh, you know, the, he's uh, on the side of the conglomerates if he's talking like that. What's your views? Uh, South Africa is part of BRICS, a uh, founder member of BRICS. Uh, what's your views? Should we stay with BRICS or, uh, you know, agree with the rule of here, Bota, uh, that leave uh, BRICS or exit uh, BRICS? Uh, what's your thoughts on that? No, honestly speaking, South Africa in general is an independent country. 
we have all the resources. As we mentioned, coal and most of the resources of our country actually, you know, lights the fuel of other countries. Even when it comes to the precious minerals that we have, we look at the amount of gold, platinum, uranium, you name it. We have it. There's no reason to be under the wing of some other uh, or BRICS or any other country, really speaking. Yes, we have sold our country out. That I will give credit to our government. But really speaking, there is no absolutely no reason. If you look at a place like China with a population of about 1.2 billion people, here in South Africa, we only got about 58 million people. 58 million is a small number in comparison to 1.2 billion people. But every city in China runs independently. You know, you don't find one city helping another city because each one runs independently. We only got 58 million in this country. Why do you want to sell out even more? So, firstly speaking, we, we have an independent country. You know, we have all the resources at our disposal. We have some of the most learned, influential, and educated people in this country still. You know, those that are left behind, you know. So, I really speaking, you know, it's time we create our uh, independence. If you, if you look at Gaddafi, you look at so many of our uh, neighboring uh, uh, countries or states uh, in Africa, you know, we, we're supposed to have our own uh, monetary uh, system, you know, where people look up to us. But yet, we will still go according to the dollar, we'll still go according to the euros, you know. So, other countries are still dictating to South Africa. Why can't we get our independence in the form of independence and not by the word independence? Well, I know that you really want to have a chuckle before we end off. Uh, uh, Joe Biden has uh, been, uh, you know, uh, is going to stand for election and he's going to stand for the 2024 elections. He's already 80 years old. He does know his direction, the way which is right, which is left. Sometimes when he's uh, reading, uh, you know, his script, he doesn't know what he's saying. Uh, what's going on, Yanwar? Uh, honestly speaking, you could not get a better president than him. I'll tell you why. Because he's a puppet, and I think uh, the whole world knows it. If you <laughs> take a person like Trump and put Trump in there, he was a people's person. The only president in the United States compared to the last four presidents, I'm talking about Obama, I'm talking about Bush, I'm talking about Clinton, at least three of them created 11 wars amongst themselves. Um, if you look at Trump, Trump evaded all the wars. He didn't go to any war. One of the only presidents. He's the only president in the world at the time of COVID that created three million jobs. But my point being, he wasn't good enough. If you look at a person like Biden, Biden will be the fall of America because we all know everyone is chasing for one world order. And we have two people in the runner-up. One is America and one is China. You know, then we have Russia, who they're trying to eliminate, who they promised Ukraine. You know, you fall under the UN, don't worry, we got your back. But obviously we know it's a lie. That's not going to happen, you know. So they, uh, they're creating instability in uh, Russia to eliminate that. So when it comes to the one world order, we're either looking at America, we're looking at China. So we're not really sure. So the best person to put in that position is Biden, because Biden really, you know, I don't know what reflection he sees, whether he sees a dinosaur or whatever it is, because I won't say, you know, I mean, 80 years old, I think he's been through about three brain um, ops itself, you know. So they got a person who they can dictate to, you know. I mean, very similar to our government, uh, we're not so far off, you know, because if you look at the government of our country, it doesn't listen to the people, does it? 
He listens to everyone else, or he listens to himself most of the time, because the people are not happy in this country. I mean, close to 30 years ago, whatever prison we had in this country, we always found flaws, and we had reasonable flaws to find in our government. So likewise, once again, it will create a split between the Republicans and the uh, other guys in America, and you find that there will be a collapse in America very shortly, because Trump is also running from what I believe uh, in the next election. And I'm sure for some reason, something bad might either happen, because most of the time, if you look at... Uh, Pakistan, if you look at our, our favorite guy, they, you know, they put hits on him, they tried assassination attempts. So when you're a bit too good for the country, they eliminate you because you've, it's all to do with dictatorship, I would say. Sianwar, you are a versatile, versatile uh, individual, a well-rounded individual. Allah bless you for that. Uh, perhaps your parting words uh, this evening? No, Alhamdulillah, it's good to be back on the air. It's good to hear your voice. Ramzan went without seeing you, Baruch I don't know which era I've seen you, which moon has come and went. I haven't seen you, but inshallah we will meet again. And to all listeners out there, have a very, very pleasant time out there, you know. Uh, inshallah, you know, today we had bad news that came onto our group chat that a six-year-old child in Springer Beach has passed away. The child apparently got knocked. Look after your children. I'm not saying it was, you know, fault of the mother, the father, whatever it is. Mistakes or accidents do happen, but just take extra care for attention, you know, that has actually put a damper to my uh, spirit at home tonight, you know, knowing that a six-year-old child has passed away in Spingo Beach, but inshallah, you know, Almighty must give the family, you know, a lot of sabari, especially trying times like this, you know, so people out there, please, you know, your kids is the wonder and the life and the joy of your one's heart, you know, just look after them, you know, protect them, go the extra mile, inshallah, so maybe, you know, Almighty will see this and he, he wouldn't overburden you with the stress of one's loss, you know, inshallah. I know, you know, on, on, on that note, my wife actually taught the kid, Inna Lillahi wa Inna Ilayhi Rajiun. And I'm just looking at the message. It says, Assalamu alaikum. Please make special dua. My sister's Raisa's son, Muhammad Zakaria, just got knocked by a car a short while ago and returned to the mercy of Allah. Please remember our family and especially my mother, Auntie Hawa, in your duas. Uh, this boy was in uh, my. Uh, Wife's class, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, uh, this is it, uh, Anwar. You know, life is so short, a small kid going through. As you said, it's put a damper in everyone's, uh, you know, mood this evening. But uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant the uh, parents, uh, Sabar, uh, Jameel, uh, grandparents, and uh, the whole family. Anwar, you have a blessed evening ahead. We'll talk to you soon. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Yes, uh, people, uh, time for us to go for the Isha Azan, and inshallah we will continue after that.